0: Um, well, Scott, we have NVS fins with us this morning. And one thing that I don't actually mention nearly enough. Um, one thing that's super cool about their program is because it's run by two guys, Jamin and life, they can accommodate small custom orders. So for all the surfboard shapers that listen to our show, um, if they want to get custom fins for one of their board models, there isn't some giant minimum quantity that they have to get they can actually I've had a listener even just tell me that he wanted a specific fin that he wasn't ever able to find on the market so he submitted the design to NVS and they just made a one-off custom set for him wow so yeah so pretty incredible customer service and program they've got
1: That is cool got me thinking maybe I'm going to design a set of fins <laughs> the boardroom a... the boardroom show fins oh lordy I'll just uh, keep the I, there's plenty of fins that NVS is making for me that I love. I don't think I need to confuse myself any further.
0: Agreed following up last week's inquiry right. from YouTube. Um, and yeah, so surfnvs.com is their website. And then of course they're also available at our retail partner, which is realwatersports.com. So you can grab them there too.
1: Yeah, real water sports and an incredible um, amount of Super cool surfboards, fans, gear, everything that you need to go surfing and more uh, real water sports.
0: They carry a lot of surfboards and do collaborations from podcast guests of yours and mine. From Christensen, I did Paisel last week. I think you did Christensen the week before that. Maurice Cole, Ricky Carroll, uh, Pat Rawson, former Icons of Foam honoree and probably winner too, right?
1: Um, yeah, he won the Dick Brewer uh shape off icons from dick brewer shape off so it's all a very organic synergy we've got going on over here (laughs) by the way i just picked up some boards from the last boardroom show um let me go grab one of them and show it to you real quick okay let's
0: let's do that on air so okay yeah so realwatersports.com and then we'll be back with the boardroom show boards
1: see some movement at the takeoff zone it's kelly Slater grabbing rail a clean entry this thing holding open it spits oh, when it spit me i thought it was going to spit me off my board comes out with the spit spits him out comes out after the spit gets spat out of another good looking wave here spit 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 we're just spit right yeah i got I'm
2: going, I'm going. Going, I
1: hey yeah i got yeah freaking got you know what i'm talking about i'm talking about yeah guy that's it david it's spit it's the spit podcast it is a wednesday morning may 25th the year 2022 and uh, good morning to you david scales
0: good morning scott bass uh before you grab those surfboards that you're going to show off to our youtube listeners or viewers i had an epiphany this morning when we do these early morning shows I have a recurring dream that's that happens before I wake up and it is uh, rushing out of the water, surfing at my dream. It doesn't take place surfing. It takes place getting changed after surfing and rushing that feeling you have that you have a meeting coming up, but in my dream, for some reason, I'm in New York city and I surfed uh, somewhere in the city or just uh, along the city and I have a dinner meeting in the city and I'm in a mad, mad rush to get my wetsuit on. And I don't know what traffic's going to be like. And I'm frantic. And so that last hour of sleep, I get no sleep. It's completely interrupted by my anxiety of trying to get to what I think is this meeting, actually.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, Anxiety, right? David, I would just tell you to calm down. You're going to make it. You can text the person and say, look, I'm (laughs) going to be late. You know what I'm saying? Do you ever text in your dreams?
0: Do you ever get a text from me?
1: Yeah, I do. <laughs> there, you I it says, <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm running behind. Changing diapers. Yeah. Then there it is. Yeah.
0: So I thought that was funny. I had it this morning, and I thought, man, I've actually had this dream before. What is this all about? Oh, it only happens on days where we're recording early.
1: Well, I mean, look. Part of it is you're responsible. You want to be, you know, responsible to your, uh, to your people. That's right get on the air exactly yeah. all right well we have the boardroom show
0: coming up in five months and you've got surfboards that you just picked up from last year's boardroom show
1: yeah yeah um i picked up these boards these boards help pay for each and every show that we do and i've got some boards for sale here that that i want to show you I just i'll just show you one and you, yeah it's a yeah, really cool it's one of the Rawsons uh from the last boardroom show these shapers um Ryan Burch, Chris Christensen, Bill Barnfield, and Timmy Patterson, who's this year's icon of foam. I'll just grab one of you, one of them, and show show it to you. Gotcha.
0: So that's a beauty. Um, it's got the spray job, the Tommy Carroll spray job, with kind of that almost a Nike swoosh across the deck with a four fin setup. The classic Rawson logo right under the chest. This one's lime green. With that yellow swoosh, black pin lines. Scott's setting it up behind him very delicately. I have a feeling that thing could fall over mid-show. Be a total calamity.
1: Anyway, I have four of these boards for sale if listeners are interested.
0: So these are the boards that were actually shaped during the competition itself.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And they all have the same exact design on them, but they are different colors so that's is that airbrush or spray job yeah barry snyder did it oh no way yeah
0: sick yeah uh it's a classic obviously tom carroll spray job
1: yeah it's tom carroll spray job it's a four fin six six each board is six six these things are pretty sleek and sexy i want to say they're like 19 19 and an eighth or something wide there these boards are for good surfer <laughs> you know like this is like a blacks board or a board that you'd take maybe down to um i don't know pasquales or to a french beach break or so or good surfer or indo like this would be an insane really good indo board good surfer and good waves good surfer good waves and and it's just a really really i mean like you see him you're like oh my god maybe i could wax it up and ride it and then luckily I've determined that I'm not going to be able to ride those boards. They're just not enough foam for me, but if you're, you know, going to Indo and this would be a killer board for you Um, under 40, you said luckily because otherwise they wouldn't be sold. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, So how do you, first of all, are they each labeled with the actual shaper's name or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: No, they are. They're each signed by the shaper and. um, So who are the shapers again? Chris Christensen, Ryan Birch, Bill Barnfield, and Timmy Patterson. Got it. But these they, are the sem- semifinalists, the boards but, from the semifinals.
0: And those obviously shapers were um, duplicating the Rawson model. So that yeah. is yeah, that's not their spin on it. That no, is no. their
1: replication of it. It's a replication of of a board that Pat makes for Tom Carroll. This then, is the board that Tom Carroll rides. Like if he goes to Cloud break or whatever.
0: And then, how do you price those things? They're so unique.
1: That's a good question. Um, how much do you think? What do you think the retail value of that board is? Because I'm not sure how to price them. I don't. I don't think. I mean, like, let's look at it this way: If you went to real water sports and bought a Rossin, I don't even know how much they are. We could look.
0: I think two thousand bucks would be a starting point.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't think somebody you could... told me that they sell for like three or four thousand dollars if you go to Ross and himself. But I, I can't, really, I can't confirm that. I don't. I mean, I could call Pat and ask him. But I'd say you don't want to double the retail price. No, there, no. there needs
0: to be a premium based on the circumstance in which they're made because it's such a one-off thing. But you can't double it. So maybe one point five, whatever the retail price is. Yeah, I think yeah. that'd be fair.
1: Yeah, they're 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 killer bars. I mean. They're unreal, and again, um, if people are wondering why I'm selling them, it's because this is how we keep the boardroom. This is part of my revenue stream that keeps the boardroom going. So, shoot, tickets are only ten bucks, right? Can't get rich on ten bucks. <laughs> I'm trying to find a, a Rossen board on. Okay, yeah, so Rossens are basically going for uh, two grand. There you go. On. And this these are super special. There's only four of these in the world. So. exactly. So how do they how do listeners get a hold of you to purchase those? Um you can just email me, Scott at Surfboard Show.com. Scott at surfboard com. There you go. Yeah. Um a lot going on, dude. And we have, by the way, on this episode, another edition of Have You Ever.
0: I got a few questions of my own for you, Scott.
1: Oh no. Okay. Well. Uh, do okay, you want to get so, into that or do you want to do some follow-up on the transgender situation? Oh yeah, let's do that. Okay. So can you set the table for the listeners last week? What happened?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Sasha, Sasha Jane Lowerson became the first trans female surfer to win a notable surfing title. It was the longboard uh, champ, Western Australian longboard championships And um, we covered the story briefly, but the news story had just broken. And so right after you and I covered it on the show, and our purpose of covering it was to kind of discuss what that means, the implications um, for more for sporting than for social equality, because I think we and pretty much everybody can agree we're all for the social equality part, but we were discussing more what does it mean for the women competitors, you know, the biologically born women competitors. Anyways, other news agencies, Stab, Beach Grip posted the story as well shortly after. And what you and I probably, I would assume are going to discuss today was the internet's response to the story. And, uh, Sasha also did an interview with Stab magazine that we could discuss.
1: Well, I didn't, um, let's discuss all of that. My, my, um, initial take here what I want to discuss or tell you about is how the NCAA which is for those of you that don't know that don't live in the United States that's the basically the college sporting organization that runs all of collegiate sports and how they deal with student athletes and and I bring that up because in the news here in the United States and maybe around the world is this woman swimmer who's just blowing doors on all of the other women's swimmers because she's a transgender woman. And she is, and she obviously used to be a male swimmer and she's just absolutely dominating uh, the women NCAA women's swimming. And she's causing a bit of a ruckus because of it. People are a little bit up in arms. So let me give you the NCAA student, athlete transgender policy, if I can, as succinctly as I can. The NCAA student-athlete transgender policy aligns transgender student-athlete participation with the Olympic movement. So the Olympic movement has already addressed this. The resulting sport-by-sport approach, so they deal with each sport differently, preserves opportunity for transgender student-athletes while balancing fairness, inclusion, and safety for all who compete. The NCAA policy calls for transgender student-athlete participation to be determined by the policy for the national governing body of that sport. So in this case, David, in the surfing case, that would be the ISA, the International Surfing Association, is the NGB of that sport which makes sense because the NCAA is following the Olympic model regarding this policy. The documentation must demonstrate compliance, which calls for, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, because you and I are going, how do they determine, like, what, like, so anyway, let me get to it. Uh, Compliance with the NCAA, which, again, is mirroring the Olympic movement compliance, calls for one year of testosterone suppression treatment. So in Sasha's case, she would have to show one year of testosterone suppression treatment, proof of that. It should also document a one-time serum testosterone level that falls below the maximum allowable level for the sport in which the student athlete is competing. Within four weeks of that sports championship selection so you have to suppress for a year then you have to prove with the test that it's working that you're suppressed enough to compete in the championships now new yorker magazine because you and i are saying so that's all you need you just need to lower your testosterone and i was kind of thinking that doesn't really seem right like that is that enough and new yorker magazine did an in-depth piece of which i'm just going to pull one quick paragraph And they, in their article, they wrote this, and I quote, people who have gone through testosterone-driven puberty, in other words, you and I went through puberty as a male, have, on average, more cardiovascular capacity, greater muscle mass, higher tendon mechanical strength, and denser bones. They tend to be stronger and taller With longer wingspans, in many sports involving timed races, men are roughly 10 to 12 percent faster than women. So you can go through puberty as a man, become say 25 years old or 22 years old, and have all of the greater muscle mass, cardiovascular capacity, higher tendon mechanical strength, and denser bones. Then transition to a woman, to a woman. Get your lower testosterone levels, but still have all the upside of go, have having gone through puberty as a man. Gotcha. Your thoughts?
0: Um. Yeah, that's a compelling argument. I agree with. I agree with the way that they're approaching the problem. You know, like taking all of the preconceived kind of uh, I, I don't know what that we have as society about trans people, pushing that aside and just going, okay, let's just measure the actual science. Let's measure the actual physiology. Okay. Testosterone is an indi- is something that's more significant in males. Let's go ahead. And that's also part, a common part of transitioning is that t- testosterone suppression. And by the way, in that article, the interview that Sasha did with STAB, she has been doing that testosterone suppression for 18 months. Yeah. And she did, and I don't know if she provided that uh, testing for them or if they required it, but she has been. And she talked about that uh, having drastically affected her stamina and all these other things. So I like that they're approaching it from that angle. But as the New Yorker piece identified, there's other pieces to the puzzle that they're going to have to account for as well. In sake of equality for the sport itself, not for social equality. One thing, though, that a listener did point out, who was a little bit miffed by your and my commentary last week was uh, sports have never been equal. You know, if you and I are making the argument that we're trying to equalize the physiology of the athletes, there's always been superior athletes who have physical advantages, I understand that person's argument. However, um, they fall, those physical advantages or disadvantages all still fall within a certain, I don't know, boundary line, you know, bell-shaped curve. And then it still makes the, it still validates the argument that you were making last week, which is if somebody falls so, if there's somebody so deviant from that bell-shaped curve, then it, makes it a lot less interesting. So if there was just in the male category of let's say wrestling or the UFC, and there was somebody who was so dominant physically, it would no longer be interesting and the sport wouldn't be as compelling to watch. And in fact, that had happened in the past. And so they created weight divisions. We know that a 250 pound Fighter can't fight a 150-pound fighter, so we try to. We have gone through this in the past, even within a gender category, of trying to isolate the various variables, variables, and then creating categories within those. You know,
1: yeah. Well, that's interesting. The the concept of weight divisions and 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 I was thinking as you were talking about this guy's email or or however he got a hold of us. Um, okay, let's just go with that. Let's just not have any divisions at all. Right. If 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 we're just gonna have who's ever the strongest and biggest wins and That's a
0: totally valid Let's just
1: let's have no divisions. It's if just you, one open division and whoever's yeah. the best is the best.
0: Yeah. If you let's walk back, that if you walk down his
1: uh, rationale far enough, that's where you end up. You don't have to go very far. He's just right. saying, look, it's not sports unfair. Yeah. Okay. I'm down. I agree with you, actually. You're right. Let's just say well, no divisions.
0: I don't agree with him because it becomes way less interesting.
1: Well, I don't, That that's a totally different argument. Yeah. Now you're talking yeah, about yeah, marketing yeah. something, you know, right. it's not marketable. Oh, by the way, that's what's driving a ton of this. Well, here's that we're trying yeah. to market a sport
0: or the, the viewership. Yeah. So let me ask you for your feedback on this one other detail um, that kind of pops up. I saw it everywhere. I got this in a couple emails and it pops up in the comments section too, but. The trans community has been so ostracized. There's a high incident of suicide within that community. There's actually a high incident of murder, hate crimes against trans. Um, And so that detail makes it delicate for guys like you and I to talk about, because if we come across too harshly, it only kind of in, I guess adds fuel to the haters, but then also uh, re-victimizes those who have actually suffered from the crime. So how do you and I discuss it in light of that information? Or do we take a different path or do we avoid it completely? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, first of all, if our discussion is driving people to... Heighten their hate against somebody else, then well, do I, would you think, su- I would suggest that you and I have failed. So, do you think it is? I don't think so. I don't sense I don't that there's. So I don't sense that there's any. Um, what would be the word I'm looking for? That we're inciting. I don't think we are either. I think I'm just having intelligent conversation or trying. By the way, <laughs> intelligent. <laughs> uh, yeah, trying exactly. <laughs> I, I want again, I will say that I am no expert in this. I'm I'm shouldn't probably be discussing this other than it's an interesting surf story that that is now crossing over into mainstream news.
0: Well, it has implications for the greater surf world. That's the other thing. That's why we're discussing it. The reason why I'm comfortable discussing it and even stepping on, uh, you know, being the ones who make the mistakes publicly is because these are the conversations we're having in society. These are the, yeah. So I, I don't mind being the one who catches kickback from listenership. Um,
1: It falls under the the other guy's email. Life's not fair. Sports, not fair. Exactly. Nothing's fair. Exactly. Equal. As soon as you try to make it equal, it's
0: right. You're trying to
1: legislate life.
0: But as far as I do want to make sure that we're sensitive to anybody who, again, if you're suffering from depression, um, very little, it requires very little to kind of, uh, push you over the edge, you know? And so I want to make sure that we're always sensitive to anybody who is suffering from those things. And so maybe we do misstep when we speak sometimes or misspeak, I guess, but my heart has never been in a position of trying to shame that person. You know what I mean? It's only been in the position of trying to understand that person's plight, trying to see how it fits in and integrates with, uh, what everything else that we're discussing with the sport itself, with the plight of the other biologically born females who are competing in that sport. And so that was another thing that popped up in this conversation was stab magazines comments had kind of the most active uh, section on Instagram. When they posted about this story, Yeah, Sage Erickson was like, is this for real kind of from the standpoint of like, would I have to compete then against a transgender woman potentially? and she's not even on tour anymore by the way but uh bethany hamilton kind of had something from the same angle
1: yeah
0: which was hey i'm fully supportive of trans people but we should probably create a trans category then because this probably isn't fair for the female competitors yeah Kiala kenley jumped in Uh and she's she's like hey hers was much more it was longer and a bit more thoughtful yeah and it was i should be just reading these to you but um I don't have the quotes directly in front of me, but Kialas was, I support trans community. I'm part of the LGBTQ community. Um, however, we also, we should, whatever your uh, take is on this conversation, whatever side of the conversation you're on, we need to treat each other humanely. So attacking, calling names, all of that has no place. If you are part of the human race, then you need to treat each other humanely in this conversation. So she never chimed in on whether or not she was, yeah, for well, the I'm idea. Sure,
1: but on stab, there was a few sophomore comments that well, so weren't then, very, weren't in the spirit of love and tolerance,
0: right? And so then, so there were those. Yeah, there was everything in between, you know. And so right. Peter Peter King, uh, commented something that was probably more in between because you had Kobe Aberton, Who's just like a, ne- a Neanderthal, you know? And it's yeah. just like, F this, paddle out at my spot and you'll get a beating. I'll steal every way from you. And it's oh like, oh my God. Okay. You know? And then, yeah. but Peter King was like, hey, this was always the nexus in which liberalism was going to eat itself. Like, this is so kind of um, impractical from a sporting standpoint that it's going to actually nullify. The trans move it or it's going to not nullify it but undermine the trans move it movement as a whole you know so his is kind of more of a political argument um so you had a little bit of everything taking place but I think Kiala's stance was kind of the most salient, which is can we please just have this conversation without canceling anybody And I even felt that way about the Kobe Aberton argument because listeners were emailing me or messaging me and going, You guys need to call out Kobe. Here's all these established pro surfers, the patriarchy essentially in the sport. You have a platform. You should be calling these people out. And my response on that is kind of like, I don't want to cancel anybody. I don't care what your stance is. I'm not pro cancel culture. Kobe Aberton's allowed to be Kobe Aberton and he he can continue to, he's identified himself. You can choose now not to be a fan of his based on his behavior, but it's not for me to cancel him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um,
1: well, I, you know, Kayla's point is is probably the most salient in that what she's saying really is, and I think this is super important. Because for for there to be any movement towards, uh, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is, if you're in the LG, and I don't even, I'm going to mess up the acronym, but if you're.
0: LGBTQ? Yeah,
1: thank you. Plus, you're in the LGBTQ plus movement, whatever you want to call it, right? and you're speaking out about it and trying to help the situation. That's great, but really, where the where the movement gets momentum is when you and I and Kobe and other people are just you know support these people, and it's much like um, the women's movement. You know, like when men got on board with women's right to vote um, and started championing, championing the the women's cause, it helped. Yeah. And it's the same with abortion. Um, It's, you know, so it's when the patriarchy goes, hey, you guys, we're blowing it. We should be supporting these people. Let's act humanely. I, oh by the, you know aren't we supposed to be human like i think she you're right what she said is super important and and i think it's very important for those of us that aren't in that ostracized community to step up and go hey you guys i support you
0: yeah but with the detail of you're not allowed to compete in this given category
1: well here's the thing cuz they would say about, that's about not what support. i read to you earlier is that it's important to note that the olympic movement's policy on transgender athletes is ongoing they the very first thing they say is we update this thing every six months because it's changing it's evolving we don't know where it's going to go it's it's new to us too we do realize we have to address it so we are addressing it the first thing we're doing is this thing that i told you about you know this, this testosterone suppression but as the new yorker points out there's other stuff that we have to deal with and there. so they're are my point is, is that all of us need to evolve and we don't know exactly where we're at with this, but as Keala mentioned, let's start with the evolutionary process with being, uh, having Human. some love and tolerance. here.
0: We're all a lot more similar than we are different. And uh, I think often we focus on the differences more than we do the similarities. And so we need to reset with the Kiala.
1: But I will say in my gut of guts, I don't think it's right for transgender women to surf against other women yeah instinct is that it just doesn't seem right and and the new yorker magazine based on their research and their their article suggests the same that if you go through this process after puberty no matter how much testosterone you suppress you're going to have greater cardiovascular capacity, greater muscle mass, higher tendon mechanical strength and denser bones. A very dear friend of mine who's, who's very sensitive to this subject goes, Scott, look, if I, if I lift weights for a year and get super strong and then don't lift, lift weights for the, rem- the next year, I'm still fully solid. Like the muscle mass is there. It might. I don't know out. how
0: true that is.
1: Well, look, it wasn't a scientific statement, his point, <laughs> but his point was, look at me, because that's what he did. He did work out for like two years and was a stud and then just kind of went into a different workout regime. Didn't, wasn't lifting, decided to start running and he's still, you know,
0: anyway. Yeah. But that does turn to fat to, from a science standpoint, that muscle right. turns okay, to well. fat. He's been maintaining it as muscle, um, but,
1: um, the New Yorker magazine, I would suggest everyone Google it and check it out. Cause it's pretty fascinating yeah but the new yorkers uh you know they're reputable and and certainly uh open-minded yeah for sure
0: well i think we covered it do you have anything else to say on that no no nor do i
1: we'll get that's all how about have you ever (laughs) have you ever David, have you ever, are you ready? This is the segment where listeners get to learn more about David and I through our surfing experience. Did you take surf PE, physical education class, surfing physical education class in high school?
0: I did not. It did not, uh, it was not offered. I lived 30 minutes from the beach. So no, that wasn't an option.
1: Okay. Did you? I did. Look I at took, you. Not only was I in surf PE in one of the periods I was the teacher's aide for surf PE in the other period. So was this was high school then? Yeah high school surfing PE. Surf. How PE. many years did you have that? Three.
0: And was it just free surf session or did they have any structure to the class?
1: It was a little structure you'd go down there and check in with the coach the teacher yeah. and he would you'd go out and then he'd whistle you in and you'd come in but generally we would stay out go down the beach and miss the next period which was you know ceramics or something important
0: so i i had an unofficial equivalent to that
1: can you hold your thought for just yeah. a let's take yeah, yeah. a quick break and hear back from david on his let's do he thought
0: free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply yeah buddy so my surf pe equivalent was not sanctioned by the school but i would go surfing during class basically fair enough (laughs) which i think everybody would do um or anybody who surfed in high school probably ditched a few classes, but I eventually got busted. My mom actually worked for the school district. Oh, and I, um, <clears throat> my first car, believe it or not, was a '68 Mustang. Thing was what? so so sweet, dude. It sounds very sweet. It was amazing. You're spot. Uh, yes. You know what's funny? I was thinking back to it just as you were in the restroom. <laughs> I seem to remember my dad paying $2,800 for that car. Right. So right now that feels very, very cheap. Yeah. But 20 years ago, I guess, geez, like 24 years ago, uh, I think it was still pretty cheap. You know, I think it was still like, you could buy cars like that back then for reasonable yeah. prices. Yeah. The price on those has gone through the roof now. Yeah. But at the time, I feel like it was still like a good deal. You know, yeah, it was like but a I- used car. Yeah, totally. But he did pay for it. So I was spoiled. And the thing was obviously an epic car to have as a 16 year old, but it was very identifiable as well. Like the windows weren't tinted. It was just, you could see me driving it. If you saw the car, you knew it was me. And I had a 5.8 Timmy Patterson swallowtail.
1: Wow. A
0: little rippable little shortboard. Yeah. And because it was 5.8, it would fit in the back seat at an angle to where like the fins were propped up in the back window and the nose of it was right under my, the back of my front seat, essentially. Yeah. And I drove to school because that's where my parents thought I was going. And I think I had a friend, I had to drop off, dropped him off and then immediately headed towards the beach. But one of the bus drivers at the school who knew my mom, cause she worked at the district, just saw my white Mustang with a surfboard in it going away from school. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so later that day I, Got busted by my mom, and I think uh, I got. She was pretty strict, actually, so I got grounded or something. Put an end to that for a while.
1: So, well, let me scratch off. Have you ever been busted by a school bus driver on my list of <laughs> questions to ask you? Well, I got one for you then. Let's go uh, one for one. All right.
0: Have you ever punched your surfboard?
1: Mm. I can't recall ever punching my surfboard. No.
0: What about a downward
1: elbow? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> foot, I've never, foot I mean, through no. the board. No, I've never done any of that, that I can recall. Yeah. I think you have too much respect for the boards. I mean, that might be it. That might be it. Or I just realized that might hurt too much.
0: You see that <laughs> people, people who have that amount of ire don't think through the pain part.
1: Right. And, and I was blessed without that amount of ire. Good.
0: Yeah. I I've never punched a board either.
1: All right. I've got another one for you here. Have you ever verbalized out loud a prayer while you were in the water? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Was it a prayer of gratitude?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think more than anything that. um, Also, I mean, I guess as I think through it, I haven't done this in recent years so much but there was definitely phases of my life where you're going through something significant, you know, like I've had, um, uh, family members die. I've had close friends die. I've had, I've been divorced, you know? And so through those down parts of life, surfing has always been there, you know, and as cheesy and cliche as it sounds, that's always been a refuge. And so, it's just a part of my daily life, essentially. And so you find yourself doing that and verbalizing um, like actually audibly yeah. is it's like almost like therapy. You know, like I can remember many, many times just sitting there with nobody around and just whatever thoughts you're kind of bottled up feeling, just verbalizing somehow helps you purge them. It makes it feel more real. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've done it many, many times. Many, many times. Okay. Right. Yeah. Dozens and dozens. I would dozens say. and dozens. Yeah. And sometimes it is just like um, maybe asking for a specific thing, but I think more often than not, it is a gratitude thing. Just yeah. like, whew, man. Yeah. You know,
1: I do it almost every time I surf. Do you really? If, if it's not out loud, it's inward. But um, I do recall one time that really sticks out and it was the year was 2000. I was in Fiji. I was there for, uh, a surfer sent me there to cover the, the WCT at Cloud Break at Tavarua.
0: Those are the days.
1: Yeah. And I was by myself surfing at Wilkes Pass, which is this soft little right-hand reef, which is a fun little wave. It was like three feet, maybe four feet on the stats. Pretty small. But it was sheet glass. The sun was setting. It was just one of these gorgeous Fijian evening sessions by myself i was just surfing kicking just all my you know it was like and i just remember just verbalizing a great big thank you to whatever higher powers afforded me that moment in my life it was incredible well because what else
0: could you possibly hope for in life that's kind you, of what yeah. you've got you've got the wife and kids at home safe taken care of yeah you're getting a break you're on a tropical island and you're surfing, yeah. which is the thing that you love to do. I mean, that's as good as it gets. You, and getting you think, paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do not get
1: better than that. It's a free trip. Right. <laughs> I know. I think that's, you know, and then so you're like, OK, it doesn't get any better. But of course, it gets better because your children add so much. So many layers of 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 life, of life experience yeah and so it's been cool
0: okay well i've got i've got one more for you okay have you ever lied or over exaggerated about getting tubed or how deep you were in the tube
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and i'd still do it if it wasn't for video (laughs) now i can get called out no yeah look sure you're kidding? My, my ego gets the better of me more often than not,
0: you know, hundred percent, dude. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, again, this is something I probably
0: haven't done in years, but throughout all of my teenage years, maybe my early twenties, if I had a sick, like double up section and it ended up being a pocket ride instead of a proper tube, but my buddies were all out the back. And so they were just looking at the back of the double up. I would absolutely kick out of that thing and claim it. Like, yeah, that was a sick one. Not, you know, and it wouldn't, you can't really get away with it if it's not a double up and it has to be again, a pocket ride where you're kind of underneath it. So they don't really know, but I have had the moments where I'm like, should I actually tuck in and fake it this? Or should I try to like bottom turn and crack the lip? and I've chosen to actually tuck in and fake it, knowing that they wouldn't know the difference. So I could just get the accolade when I paddle back out, rather than actually doing something cool
1: on the section. That's fascinating. I think I may have done that too. This also pushes me to my last one for this session, because it speaks to this. So one of my questions was, have you ever been properly firehosed spit out of a tube? And my answer is no. I can I honestly think, say, yeah, I, I don't never. Think I mean, so. and I mean like stinging, like the kind of proper spit out of the tube where you're like, oh my God, the, you know, like crazy spit. I've felt some spit on my back. I've been in, fr- I've been out of the tube and have the, the tube spit on me while I was on the shoulder. But I mean like fire hosed out like pipeline or something you'd get it where, you know, a beach break somewhere.
0: I've never surfed waves that consequential. So I've gotten tubed at, you know, reef passes, but not like pipe not yeah. like a slabby type reef and I've gotten tubed at beach breaks, but never when it's more than head high. Yeah. So I wouldn't have. Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. Look, we've gotten deep tubes. I'm talking stinging fire hose, you know? And yeah, it's, yeah. I don't think that's a regular, uh, I don't think most people have had that experience.
0: Well, you'd have to be at, when you say beach breaks, you'd have to be at like Puerto Escondido type Puerto, beach break, yeah. which I don't surf or France, maybe. that's quality Or even, yeah. Even then nine nine out of ten great right. days I agree. Are not going to be that wave that you're talking yeah. about. Um, so and then I yeah, I'm not paddling out at pipe when it's doing that, you know. Yeah. yeah. So no, the answer is no, and the answer is I never will at this point. It's
1: funny because you think about like I was just thinking about like G Land, which is coming up and can do it left and waves in Indo. Even those barrels, you rarely see fire hose barrels in Indo. It's right. like just perfect, thin-lipped little, you know. Yeah.
0: I guess I'm just going to have to accept that'll never happen.
1: Hey, it's okay. We can enjoy when it happens to somebody else.
0: I certainly do. Just like big wave surfing. Which, what else you uh, got? Which I will never do. Uh, the surfing. Guinness. Yeah, so th- that was my segue into right. Germany's Sebastian, Sebastian Stuttgart just was awarded the Guinness record for the largest wave ever surfed. Do you know how tall they measured this wave to be, Scott? Well, I think it's
1: 86 feet.
0: It is 86 feet, also known as 26.21 meters. This happened on October 29th, 2020. They are just getting around to reviewing it now. Apparently it's a long process. (laughs) Uh, Did you see this wave? I'm going to start by saying before we start talking crap about Nazare, which is our usual shtick. Right. Right. Congratulations to Sebastian. Sebastian deserves it. Sebastian has been out there. I mean, putting in the hard yards at Nazare. He is a legit, legit big wave surfer and really one of Nazare's finest surfers. So I was glad to see him get this accolade. He absolutely deserves this accolade. Yeah. But now let's discuss the ride itself and the wave. Uh, Did you see this wave?
1: I saw this pop up on news feeds. Um, i I was sort of forced to see it. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Jeez, it just, twist just, your arm. well, I mean, my, what I'm getting at is I, I had absolutely no interest in seeing it. Like when it came through on my feet, I didn't stop and go, oh, I got to watch this whole ride and dissect it. I was like, OK, 86 feet doesn't surprise me. You know, so like not I wasn't engaged by this. I simply wasn't. And
0: well, it's our responsibility to uh, stop and measure it. Um, I
1: don't think so.
0: <laughs> let's okay. Then I'll do the brief. I'll do the brief overview. Okay. Um. I've talked to Garrett McNamara about this. I've talked to a lot of people about this in the big wave community. Yeah. Everybody admits openly that there's no way to measure these waves. Exactly. Um, and so the fact that Guinness. We're still doing it. Well, the fact that Guinness tries to come up with an objective measurement, I think kind of undermines Guinness's credibility almost. It's like, You guys, even the experts in the space say that this is kind of a, you know, a a futile effort. And then, and so when you look at that ride, you can, we can all agree there's no bottom to that wave. So where the lip is actually hitting the wave as it breaks, there's still slope beyond that, that Sebastian never even touches, you know? So there's tons more before you actually hit the trough of the wave.
1: I have a a new way to measure I've got a couple too. What is yours? I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, but I just, this came to me just yeah. now. You measure the, the size, the height of a wave by the, the bottom of the wave is where the person does his bottom turn. Sure, And he has to then move up towards the wave face for that measurement to count. In other words, you can't just go to the bottom of the wave and straight. Now you have to do a turn up towards the lip again. And then from the, from that point, from that, whatever you would call it, apex or V or whatever, at the bottom of the wave, where the bottom turn occurs is where you measure the wave.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Your thoughts? I think, I, I think that's a great way to measurement, measure it. I don't know that it's fully foolproof though, because I'm thinking it waves at Chopu or Pipe. People do knife into the barrel and kind of yeah. take that higher road, yeah. but we're not really measuring the size of those waves anyways. This is really only applicable for... Big wave surfing, right? Yeah. Well, another thing that um, Garrett McNamara, I think, actually brought up to me was that you should be measuring the energy of the wave. And this could be done probably with a device dangling off the surfboard or off the leash or something like that. But if there is a way to measure what would be the equivalent of pounds per square inch in a water hose, that would be an indicator because the argument could be made an eight foot wave at Chopu or Pipe could actually have more power and PSI than a 30 foot wave at Nazare.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that's going to create some problems too. I, I appreciate Garrett thinking outside the box because that's certainly interesting. Um, but I mean, so is the award, the person who wrote the most powerful wave? Cause I could, you could definitely argue that that's not going to be who rode the biggest wave, which is, Sort of what everyone can, re- like the outsiders can relate to. Oh, a 100-foot wave, amazing. You know, somebody's grandmother can get it. Right. Get at that. But when you start talking about pounds per square <laughs> Somebody's inch,
0: grandmother.
1: Yeah. They can go, oh, did you see that boy ride the 100-foot wave? Whereas they're not going to be like, did you see he oh. rode the 15 pounds per square inch wave? Like, nobody gives a shit.
0: Totally. Well, what about the fact that Sebastian Way- Wave was a uh, toe-in?
1: I mean... Again, I'm just, I'm not too engaged by it all. Um And it's just, it's not that it's not awe-inspiring and it's not that I didn't love watching the 100-Foot Web series on HBO, which I did. Um, it's a different sport. It's just, it's just it- not, I don't know. It's hard to explain.
0: It really feels like I, a different. By
1: the way, I interviewed Gary Linden, which will be on the next Boardroom podcast on Monday morning. And um he said the same thing. He's like, basically said after 50 feet you just can't measure a wave it's just like who knows yeah you know you get backwash coming up at the very apex crest peak of the moment for about five seconds the wave could be 80 feet but it tapers off into a 50 footer and the surfer was really only on the 50 foot section you know, exactly it's, just, exactly. it's just so hard to figure out
0: yep okay well we won't figure it out here today um oh, well. but congratulations to sebastian because in that criteria for what he's doing he did it so he did yeah. it so it,
1: yeah it's definitely an incredible feat i mean what they do is insane
0: it's an incredible 86 feet
1: right well put thank you speaking of 86 feet did you know that the water temperature at Gland is 86 degrees it's too warm it's too warm and the waves are too big no the waves are small i'm looking at the they're not small, but I'm looking at the um, forecast here for the WSL Gland Pro. I don't even know if that's what it's called, but that's what I'm calling it. And the Gland Pro, um, sadly, I mean not sadly, there's going to be waves. It's going to be six feet. But today, for instance, it's twelve. It's eight to twelve feet with a nine foot swell at sixteen seconds. That's what you want, ooh, right? Ooh. Then the whole waiting period from the 28th, which is this Saturday, is when it begins. It's six feet with a 12 second period. Eventually, you get, it gets, the period gets a little longer, which will be good. But the waiting period ends, I believe, on the 6th of June. And it's basically just, it's going to be good. It's, don't get me wrong. It's going to be four to six feet but it's not going to be what it is on the ninth, which is 10 to 12 feet and which it is on today, which is eight to 12 feet. So my point in all this is the purple blob tour, like they're actually going to a spot that could be eight to 12 feet and insane. And they've picked a week where it's going to be four to six feet, but on each side of that week, it's eight to 12 feet.
0: Well, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's what happens, unfortunately. No, with but our it doesn't sport.
1: have to happen. That's my point. If you focus that the waves are the stars, You're pulling up shop and going, I don't care what the waiting period is. We're waiting until the ninth when it's eight to 12 feet, three days later.
0: Well, you know, what's funny is because the uh, field is reduced after the cut, they shorten the waiting period as well. So the waiting period is only one week as opposed to two. But if they would have left it open at a two week window, we could have actually gotten those ways.
1: Yeah. On Thursday, the ninth, it's five feet at 17 seconds. It's, and it's eight to 12 feet. Like it's going to be pumping.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I will say this has been, this is the most excited I've been for an event in a long time, maybe other than the pipe event, because GLAN holds such a nostalgic place in my surfing life. Not because I've been there, but just because it was a big part of '90s surfing and early 2000s surfing. And it's largely gone away. And I'd say the WSL did a fantastic job um, by posting the vault footage. So during COVID, they were posting all their archived footage and they labeled it as the vault and um, it was old events. So they posted the vault footage of the 97 event and I watched that and it was so epic. The waves were epic. The surfing back then was insane. Kelly Slater kind of in his peak, you know, uh, prime in terms of, youthful nimbleness. He was getting, he got this one (laughs) wave that was a triple barrel. And on the final barrel, he switched stance in the tube and came out goofy foot, you know, just completely insane stuff. Um, And the waves were absolutely pumping through that event as well. So I just got super hyped looking at all this old footage and uh, I couldn't be more excited for the event. Let me ask you this, Scott. I know we're not in the survival game anymore. We got yeah. booted thanks to yeah. Griffin Colapento, Actually, thanks to Owen Wright. Um, but if you had to make a survival pick, who would you pick?
1: Gabe Medina. Me too. That was my pick. Gabe Medina. Why Gabe? Because because first of all, I want to see Gabe make a run through this whole thing. And actually, I wouldn't, I'd be kind of stoked if Gabe won the world title. Because it, what it does is it kind of, sh- it kind of poo some of their policies which is all you need is a mental health break. <laughs> you can right. just skip the first half of the tour. Right. And, um, and, and he's quite frankly, he's the story. Like he's the most interesting story right now. And yeah. I think he will be, especially if he wins this event. Now it's all, every, all eyes are on Gabe. Yep. Cause he could win. He could get into the top five and win the whole thing. No problem. If he just, he's going to need to win some events,
0: but, but he it's can. doable. It's totally doable. And this wave Suits him Are you as kidding? good as any wave on the planet. And I would argue it suits him better than almost any other competitor on tour
1: at four to six foot G land. And we haven't seen him in six months and he's probably in top form. I'm assuming Well, we don't, that's the one part we don't know about. Yeah, I know. But so the other, so when Dave it came to Medina, how old is he? 28. Right. He's yeah, like probably. at his peak, he, he could take off three weeks and grab a board and frigging and be tuned up within, you know, two days
0: agreed or two waves even mm-hmm. um so m- my original survival strategy at the beginning of the season was i think i stated it on on air was to pick the surfer who i thought was going to win the event and that actually worked for me for those first few events i deviated from my own strategy by picking griffin colapinto at bells i thought that was a safe pick but me i did, too but i did not think he was going to win that event so that was
1: Oh, you know, your strategy failed you.
0: I deviated from my strategy. My strategy right. would have your strategy served
2: wouldn't. me. Yeah.
0: And so when I'm looking at G land, even though I can't play because I'm out of the league, yes, my pick, if I go back to my strategy, who's going to win this event, my money's on Gabriel Medina. Boom, you pick Gabriel Medina.
1: I agree. And, and I'll tell you another thing, a couple of other guys that we can bring up here. Jack Robinson's been posting some stuff on Instagram. And he, if you haven't picked Jack Robinson uh, and you're not going to go with Gabe Medina, I think Jack Robinson's a pretty good pick here. Yeah. And not, and not a good pick, in my opinion, or a risky pick. And a guy who I think is is either going to move through the rest of the season with a lot of great momentum, or this event could be his downfall, his ELO.
0: Yeah. I agree that is a wild card right there. it's
1: a wild card I'm not yeah, sure where yeah. he is
0: mentally yeah me neither but have you seen that guy's legs
1: I I saw a recent Instagram post where he's with his chick in the in the jungle yeah and he's friggin' cut like insane
0: I gotta send you this Instagram uh, story that he posted of his leg his leg it's freaking insane it looks like Like legitimate bodybuilder, steroided out, flexed, fully flexed, not an ounce of fat and overly muscled leg. (laughs) Um,
1: Like you could lather it with barbecue sauce and put it on your Traeger grill. And it's
0: shaved as well. Um, Yeah, it makes me wonder what the uh, threshold is for actually mobility versus strength, you know? Okay.
1: Holy shit. You just sent me a picture of this guy's leg and it's gross.
0: I mean, it is right. There's muscles I've never even seen before.
1: Uh, Tell you what, you know, what's interesting. He, he looks like he's, like I said, he's extremely cut and there's been athletes that have gone into this, like getting overly in shape and it's kind of ruined their mojo a little bit. Agreed. And I've seen it happen in sports that don't necessarily need a ton of of cut like it happens in golf occasionally guys that are kind of pudgy but are really good golfers decide to get all in shape and they lose it yep i'm not sure that'll be the case in surfing Surfing's a little bit different it's it's a much more uh, you know in motion sports golf is so static that but anyway you need you need (laughs) you need
0: mobility and mobility gets compromised by muscle mass
1: very very good point and I'm concerned as well about his mental state based on uh you know the last couple of events where he didn't get the result he was looking for and and then he's posting pictures of him and his girl who they look like they're models now more than they're like he looks like he's kind of getting his Instagram mojo and his his crew is going look let's do this and it doesn't seem on brand like I'm I expect to see Elo wake up in the morning and just shovel some cereal in his mouth and surf for eight hours, you know, not yeah. like oil his body up and get all shaven. And
0: Well, it's a very, uh, I don't know if he's lost. Look, he can make a great living following the path that he's, that he's on doing that as well. Yeah, But it's very different than Kelly Slater doggedly focused on winning 10 world titles. You know,
1: speaking of Kelly, did you see that funny thing on the beach grit where I, I guess at some point because of the baby formula shortage, by the way, you're probably being affected by that in some way. The Kelly Slater came out with a do-it-yourself baby formula recipe.
0: I did see that.
1: (laughs) And I think Stab or somebody sent us something or Beach Grit. Might have been Chaz. Did you guys talk about this on the Grit?
0: No, but I think a listener DM'd it to us and was like, god that guy's got an opinion on everything but yeah that's he? what
1: it was is there's anything this guy doesn't have an opinion on?
0: yeah Pre- well for the record we're not affected by it we've been ordering our formula from the uk since day one and uh oh, they're not you. having any shortages yeah for you. um so we're looking forward to g land i'll ask you real quick little trivia question can you yeah. name there's there's been three ct or asp events at GLAND? can you name the three champions
1: um, I, I, I want to say Shane Bashan. Yes. I want to say uh, Tom Carroll. Nope. And um, he's great at making baby formula. <laughs> Glenn Winton? <laughs> no. no. Kelly's. Kelly's. Oh, Kelly, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, but I was thinking way back to like when they, because they had one in like 81. It was like the Ombach. Gland pro or something. And it, and it was like Jim banks was in it. And
0: well, maybe. I so I don't have that. I have 95, 96 and 97.
1: Oh, when it was an ASP, this wasn't even an ASP thing. This was so um 90. Okay. So I got Shane Bashan, right? Shane okay. Bashan was right in the middle. 96. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So how about, okay. So 95, I would, was 95 Slater? Yes. Okay. So 97 would be, um give me a second, okay. Um
0: and can I give you a hint?
1: Yeah, was he regular or goofy?
0: Well, you said Tom Carroll, this is another powerhouse goofy Australian.
1: Luke Egan? Yeah. Wow. Look at me. Great. Good job.
0: So a couple of <coughs> things that they need to look for that we need to look for in the judging criteria at GLAND. Um Because it's such a long wave, will they be deducting points for a fall at the end of the wave, which is something that we do generally see at, you know, at J Bay, somebody will do three, four insane turns out the back, which almost warrants, you know, let's say a nine point ride, and then they'll have an incredible end section that they go up and hit and they fall and it seems like the judges deduct a point for the fall. So it'll go from a nine-point ride down to like an eight-point ride. So at G-Land, will we be seeing that?
1: Uh, it's a great question. Uh, my sense is that they shouldn't. They absolutely uh, shouldn't. What's going to happen at G-Land is there's going to be two pylons out there, two buoys. And it's going to be like, okay, I'm past the, the con- I'm past the area where they're judging, so it's time to kick out. So you're either going to kick out or you're going to be in a barrel and you're either going to have to doggy door it or not. And I doubt there's going to be like an end section that you hit. Uh, But I guess maybe at a fuller tide, there will be. Uh, Look, if you fall, you fall. It's a bad look.
0: But but it it shouldn't shouldn't get
1: deducted an entire point.
0: If you've already got the points on the board, the points stay on the board as far as I'm concerned. Um, The other... the other thing that I we haven't discussed as much is that <clears throat> there almost seems to be, um, I don't know what it would be called, like a point of a length of ride, wherein if you go past that length, it seems like the impact is less, it's a less impactful ride. So if you rode the wave 50 yards in the most critical part of the wave and did really critical turns throughout that zone and then just kick out, that's an impactful score. But if you continued to ride that wave and did softer turns, it somehow becomes a less impactful score, even though you're doing more on the wave. And I could see that becoming a problem at G-Land as well.
1: Well, you're right. And again, I would point to the buoys. I think that the judging and the competitors, they need to get together, all of them and go, look, you ride from here to here. And if you kick out after this point, we're, we're not going to judge you. And that's going to help resolve your issue here that, you know, look, ride the wave, the entire wave, man, if it's a long wave, ride it the length of the buoys and then kick out.
0: Why would they even put the buoys? There's four sections of that reef, right? Four almost distinctly different waves. Why not let somebody get the most insane ride through all four sections?
1: Well, that's a good, a valid point. I just think because of We're in a competition. We need a format. We need to keep the judges focused on what's happening in front of them. At some point, you just can't simply see all the way, perhaps. Uh, Although, I guess with that judging tower, you probably could. And with with video review, you should be able to. 200 yards, 200 yards is good. Like, why? That's plenty. Why go to the best
0: wave in the world if you're not going to allow them to ride
1: the best wave? Uh, Again, you know, like, I, I think that at some point there's, uh, diminishing returns
0: that's what i was looking for um well we're looking forward to this event it starts in about 48 hours uh, obviously worldsurfleague.com or on their app and um i do one final thought is i do love seeing the reduced field when i pulled up the heat draw and i think there was only eight heats on the men's side i was like oh my gosh that's way more digestible and palatable
1: so. one thing to them to look for uh as we watch this event is guys that are forcing themselves into tubes that they maybe should be going out on the wave face and attacking the lip vertically because it's such an easy wave to kind of stall and just set yourself back in that that it might be better to find the big fat open barrels and then do critical hacks where maybe if you're free surfing you'd be like i'm just going to stick my arm in this wave and and mongrel another tube section here right um, at some point you might see the judges go look if you're stalling too much it's a bad look
0: totally totally agree um WSL also posted an Instagram last night that I feel like you and I almost deserve credit for
1: oh
0: um well then let's give ourselves credit (laughs) I'm gonna pat you and I on the back right now and because we have been saying this for years and years and years, and this is a distinct turn for them. The caption reads, the thrills, the chills, and everything in between from the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. Watch now, link in the bio. WSL presents, all action, no lulls. And the video is showing the board punches, the eatalo freak out in the con- competitor zone, the wipeouts, the people grimacing on their faces. Um, all of the things that they have previously cut away from in the past are now packaged into one edit. All action, no lulls.
1: Well, good for them. You know, maybe they are. Um, I bet a big part of that too is just being around. And watching make or break and going, hey, these look like good edits. So let's yeah. let's include these in there.
0: Yeah. So good job, WSL. Um, one other quick little shout out that is neither here nor there, but it's you know, related to our little world is um the surfing heritage and culture center, which used to be our home studio before COVID, was featured on CBS Sunday morning news this past week. They did a segment called The History of Surfboards. Cool. I don't, I don't know why they did this segment there. It's, you know, it'd be one thing if the Olympics were happening or something like that, but at any rate, they did a segment called the history of surfboards and they went to the surfing heritage and culture center. They interviewed uh, Patty Paniccia. Uh-huh. You know, Patty, I do know Patty. Yeah. Um, and former pro surfer. I think she's now an attorney. Yep. And I think she's on the board at yep. the surfing heritage and culture center.
1: Yep. She is.
0: She's epic. And uh, so they interviewed her. She showed them kind of some of these earliest examples of surfboards, 140 pound boards. And then they also went down to Hobie Surf Shop and interviewed Gary Larson, Hobie Shaper, Gary Larson. Oh, cool. And uh, so he was featured on there as well. The um, broadcaster paddled out at Doheny and tried to get a couple of waves. So cool little segment and great to see our friends featured on that.
1: Yeah, that is cool. I'm glad to hear that. I, there's a financial times piece that was recently done on collectible surfboards and they got reached out to me and um, there's a few poll quotes from me in there and stab magazines reaching out to me to do something on collectible surfboard marketplace.
0: Well, the, the series of articles that Brian Dickerson has done for stab has been fantastic. Breaking down the manufacturing cost of surfboards everything that goes into it, all of the economics surrounding that. I thought those have been really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, look, uh, great show, David. Um, until well, next time. Well, oh, wait, do you have something else?
0: I do real quickly. Oh, um, we owe oh, a shout out or we should just inform our listeners. Need Essentials. Uh, NeedEssentialsUSA.com has been a longtime sponsor of our work here. I just was on their clearance section on their website yesterday. Yeah. Those Polar Tech snowboard or ski pants that you and I both wear, yeah, are available in all sizes. They have inventory in all sizes right now. They're hundred dollars down, oh, okay. down from two hundred down from two hundred and seventy five.
1: That's a no brainer. Go get one of those right now. That's like an absolute no brainer. Deal of the century. If you're into mountains, if you're into deal, snow. deal of the
0: century, and those pants, by the way, the equivalent pant from any other brand.
1: 300
0: bucks. Yeah, well over three. I was going to say like yeah. five. These are yeah. kind of the premium pant. Yeah. Um, and Neat Essentials at 275 I felt like was a smoke and bargain, but they're down to a hundred bucks and they have all sizes available. So go to NeatEssentialsUSA.com to grab those. I think it's not labeled clearance. That section's labeled last chance. So Mm -hmm. grab those. And then also they have a two, two full suit in that section as well, which I think is one of the most underrated suits. I love a two, two full suit, super thin, but still full length. So when the water's warm, but maybe it's morning time and it's, you know, there's a little chill to the air like now, right now, totally the two, two full suit is the sneaky kind of best suit, super flexible mobility. So they have that on the uh, last chance section of the site as well. Cool, man. Well, look. And and it's our final few days of the free scrubber giveaway too. And we have had a number of people signing up to support our work here. So thank you for that. And we're giving away that free scrubber on June 1st. So look for that.
1: Yeah. And one final shout out to all the listeners who are sending us emails and uh, and DMing us on Instagram. We appreciate all of your thoughts. We can't get to each and every one of them, but we do read them and we appreciate them and keep them coming. We're, we're into it.
0: Totally. It really does inform the direction of the show. And it always has.
1: Okay. Well, look, David, until next week, adios and aloha. When
2: I talk about it